This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome to AutoCorrect. We're going to be helping you correct your auto problems. This is our first show. I'm Liz Gill, and I've got uh, Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, with us. Hello. Hello, everybody. Oh, we're so excited to be having our first show. And today we're going to talk about first cars. So, all right, Allison, what, what do you consider your first car? My first car was, I had a, it was a 1978 280ZX Datsun Nissan, uh-huh. which was an amazing car. Um, it was so well built, and every those cars are legendary for their their engineering. Right, and um, it was I couldn't break it. <laughs> I, I'd let it warm up, and then it was it was no holes barred from there. And I just never let up on that car the whole time I had it, and it never skipped a beat, and it was awesome. So that was my real introduction to working on cars. I used to put it up all four jacks and was taking wheels off, and I was finding out all the <laughs> systems, and I had my little Hanes manual and was learning as much as I can. So that's when I really started getting my hands on the car. And I'd been obsessed for years. Right. But that was my first hands-on. And I started racing right there. It was a little five-speed. It's ridiculous. Oh, that's that's Allison Walker for you, folks. You're going to you're get to know both of us. I think uh, your car says a lot about your personality. It really good, does. good or bad, it, it reveals uh, about you. Because when I have been talking about my first car, I, it's interesting what it reveals about me. <laughs> what was it? Well, my first car, uh, my dad gave me for my 16th birthday. It was not a brand new, but it was a Mustang, and it was a T-top. And nice. I was I was uncomfortable. It was conspicuous to me, yes. and I guess. I didn't. I wasn't comfortable with it. And also, if you took the T-top off, then you were, put it in the trunk, and you weren't supposed to put anything on top of it because it would crack it. So, and I like to carry around lots of stuff in my trunk, so that was inconvenient. And then I didn't like it because if the T-top was off, then everything was exposed to the inside. And so the first car. So here you go. The first car I selected myself was a Ford te- four-door Tempo. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Well, my actual f- first car was a Ford Escort. I just don't talk about it. It was just the point oh, of bringing it up. Oh. It was just the first car. But, I mean, like, my first love, that was not my, my love. You know? well, so see, you would have liked that car. I did. See, that, we that's hilarious. Switched. That's hilarious because <laughs> soon after my birthday, my mom was getting a new car, and they were going to trade in the Ford Escort hatchback that she <laughs> had. And I said, no, 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 let me keep that because it was a standard and uh, that's what I learned to drive on and so they traded in in the Mustang and I just loved uh, it was chocolate brown my little escort. Well, we want to hear about your first cars and thank you, Mississippi, for calling in because you certainly our lines are full right now. So let's go ahead and go to Wit in Bay St. Louis. Thanks for being our very first caller on AutoCorrect, Wit. 
Good morning, Allison. I just want to say that I'm uh, wishing you the best of luck in this incredible new venture, and thank I'm very you. excited to be a listener of your show. Oh, but I want to say I agree with you. I have a first car and a first love. My first car was uh, a 94 Saturn four-door sedan, but Ew. that got lost in Katrina, and I evacuated up to Colorado, and I got a 97 Ford Ranger manual transmission, four-wheel drive, red red paint and it nice. was it, it was the love of my life for a good 10 years those are good car those are good trucks yeah i need yeah fantastic so you're a truck guy oh yeah yeah uh well we, we will always remember you as our very first caller thanks so much for calling thanks, autocorrect thank you all right now let's move on to biloxi craig thanks for calling in what's your question or comment for autocorrect Okay, uh, I had a question, but my first car, I'll, I will say first, it was a 47 Plymouth, and I remember having to tie the blocks to the pedals so I could reach the pedals and looking through the steering wheel. I had one of those <laughs> steering wheels. Oh, wow. That's yep. awesome. <laughs> yeah. Okay, my, my question is, I have a Honda Civic that's been in my yard for years, and uh, the spark had stopped working on it, and I was wondering if the computers reset after the batteries go dead. Well, well, if I can plug in one of those uh, test units to tell if it will tell me what's wrong with it. It depends on what year. Point. What year is it? I'm not sure. It belongs to my niece. I, it, okay. I believe it's around a year uh, uh, 95, give or take. Oh, oh well, uh, that's right on the borderline of when they started doing OBD2. So they have OBD1 and OBD2 started in 95 and 96 is when it was um, put into implementation. That's when they standardize it. So it depends. But if you're not getting spark, I would just assume that you've got something going on with your, your ignition system that it may not be computer-related. Yeah. Uh, well, the, 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 okay, so the new cars, if the battery dies on them, will they tell you uh Will the onboard computer tell you what's wrong with it now if you rehook up power, or does it have to be running first? Well, it actually goes through a, a like a testing procedure, and some check engine lights will come on right away that are immediately necessary for emissions, and some of them it'll just test it and then come on. Um, as you go through a drive cycle, which is usually getting up to about 40 to 60 miles per hour a couple of times in a row. So it, d- okay. it depends on what the problem is. Okay. Well, thank you. That's been very helpful. Thank you. You're very welcome. Good luck with it. Oh, okay. now. Thanks, Craig. We appreciate you calling in. All right. Now we've got Kathleen from Osaka. Thanks for calling in on AutoCorrect today, Kathleen. Oh, I'm so glad to call. I love Allison. It's a girl oh. crush. Anybody that can understand cars, I'd get down on my knees and do the wave. Oh, that's <laughs> Listen, awesome. That's I have awesome. a funny story and a question. My first car was a 67 Camaro. Unbeknownst to me, they had a stick kind of thing in the in the middle, you know. <laughs> I thought it was a standard. And it had been sitting up in this guy's yard for years. Well, I was just recently divorced, had a baby, so I knocked on the door and asked if uh, it was for sale. He kind of looked at me, and uh, he says, well, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I guess he knew I needed it. So I said, well, how much would it be? And he looked at me again, he goes, how about 400 darling? And I said, oh, yes, I could do that. So I went to it, and I had to come back and knock on the door, and I said, 
can you show me how to drive a standard? He smiled and he goes, I'm glad you're here because it's not a standard. It's an automatic on the column. He says, somebody else might have been able to pull the wool over your eyes. <laughs> I just smiled. I said, I was so lucky that I got that car for that price and that man didn't laugh at me too much. Um. But my question is, how much would a either catalytic converter or, or I think that's named one for a 94 GMC Safari because I'm going to have to have one put on. Apparently, I did someone did some work over over the years and just removed it, so I need to have that fixed. Oh, okay, they run like a thousand to two grand. Uh, I would suggest getting one from a junkyard and cutting it out with a hacksaw and then having an exhaust company exhaust shop put it in yeah. for you and then that well, would save you a lot the of money car's not worth a thousand so the junk yard looks real good <laughs> allison good luck and thank uh, you. we'll be listening to you over the years thank you so much fantastic thanks for calling in kathleen next we have got uh dennis in starkville thanks for calling in to autocorrect dennis well, thank you for taking the call. My first car was a 1954 Ford. Uh, my most memorable car was the first, by two months, registered Mustang in the state of Illinois. I had the car two months before the cars actually were available. Oh, interesting. But anyway, my question is, with a 2011 Chevrolet HHR, in order to change and put a new light in the right front side of the car, according to what one mechanic said, was that you'd have to take the entire fender off to replace the light. Can that be possible? I seriously doubt it. I'd be probably just take the bumper off. So sometimes when people hear you have to take the bumper off to replace a light, they get intimidated. It's really quick on most cars. It really maybe an hour. The whole fender had to come off. I've never particularly heard of that. This sounds completely ridiculous to me. I'd have to look it up if you want. Dennis, I, I can check into that for you. I haven't heard of that before where you actually have to take a fender off. That would be new I mean, to me and, and completely kind of ridiculous. Crazy. I mean, to replace the bulb or whatever it is, to spend hundreds of dollars, it just seems... Who told you that? Who was it that told you that? Was this a shop? Yeah, it was a Chevy mechanic who said that. Okay, Interesting. I would be I mean, surprised that, if that's true. If it is true, I mean, it's very, very rare. The first uh, engineering that ever was done. Yeah. Well, hopefully that's not true. And it's just something like, maybe he meant the fender wells. Maybe he told you that. And But I, I don't, that sounds pretty ridiculous. Well, Dennis, we hope that you get uh, your, your light replaced. I will say, Allison, replacing lights on cars, is that's what I can do. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that is in my in my wheelhouse of automotive repair. Well, one of, we're so glad we've got so many great calls uh, talking about first cars. And if you want to give us a call, uh, the prefix is 877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. And our email is auto at mpbonline.org. And... Uh, We're going to talk about when were the first cars produced? When were the first cars mass produced? We've got that little trivia question when we come back. You're listening to AutoCorrect on MPB Think Radio. 
It's an expensive cycle. Insurance, gas, maintenance. Let us help break it by turning that car of yours into public radio. If your car is more work than it's useful, donate it to us. We'll pick it up, get top dollar for it, and use the funds to bring you more of your favorite shows. You might even qualify for a tax deduction. Donate your car, motorcycle, boat, or RV by going to mpbonline.org. The information presented on this program is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult an appropriate professional for guidance about your concerns. Welcome back to AutoCorrect with Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic. I am Liz Gill. Now, we know you can't listen to our show all the time, every time, everybody. So if you would like to listen to our podcast, you can find it on our podcasting platforms. I like to listen to podcasts when I walk my dog every morning and every evening. Now, I did get a little, little tease about uh, when the first cars were produced. And it's just amazing to me that in uh, 19, in 18, 1885, Carl Benz, Benz, ooh, like Mercedes-Benz, developed a petrol or gasoline-powered automobile. But then the first automobile to be mass-produced, of course, was the Ford Model T in 1913. Right. Fords, yeah. of, Fords and Benz, names yep. that have been around for a long time. Yes, still around. That's mm-hmm. right. Uh, we got some emails already from people listening to our promos. Uh, let's go ahead and we're going to read one of our emails. It was someone with a Silverado 2018 LT bump noise in the rear. Uh, they said they've put grease between leaf springs and tightened bolts. It's annoying. It's a relatively new truck with 20,000 miles help. Do you have any suggestion for them? Yes. So on something like that, with it being such a late model vehicle, this is something you want to kind of bug the dealership about. They need to handle it. And what's probably happened is they haven't had enough complaints to, to call for a TSB, which is a technical service bulletin, where it basically they just send it out to all the dealerships to say, this is how you fix a problem we're, ha- we're seeing a lot. And then once it gets to a certain point, if it gets a tremendous amount of problems with that, they will eventually call a recall. But on this car, when I looked it up, I, I see that it's a common problem and no one's, it's, they're not finding an exact solution. They're, people are finding some temporary solutions like cleaning out the leaf springs and putting on some Teflon nonstick and grease and, and these things, but it's, it's only temporarily helping problem. So it actually sounds like a design flaw with the leaf springs possibly on some of these Silverado trucks. I was reading from 2015 to 2018 problems on it, so perhaps that's just a design flaw that they're having with those. Nate, uh, go see your dealer. All right, so we've got some calls that we're going to get to at Kinsey and Mobile. Thanks for calling in to AutoCorrect. How's it going? Great. How are you today? Let's go. I'm doing good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got a I've got a '97 uh, Grand Cherokee that I'm I'm trying to do some work on. Uh, it's it, 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 I've, we've had problems with it just dying all of a sudden, and it's been in the shop two or three times. We've changed 
uh, countless electronics in it. Uh, and uh, even change the computer and it's still doing the same thing. It might run for 20 or 30 minutes, but it'll die for, you know, maybe two hours, three hours, maybe a day. And I'm just trying to figure out, you know, what I need to do to it. Oh, goodness. I have no idea. Uh, so you replaced a fuel pump on it? Oh, yes. And yep. their fuel, the pressure regulator, the fuel pressure regulator? Yes. Okay. I, f- I figured you'd done that. Um, after that, that's just something I would have to have in the shop and start working through the problems. Uh, I have no idea what that could be. What are some of the really? problems that you might, what would, what would be the order of the things you would check? The order you would check? I'd, f- I'd first check for a check engine light. Do you have a check engine light on? Oh, yes, ma'am. It's, it's stayed on. It, it's got like 350,000 miles on it. So, I mean, it's... You know, it's it's an old vehicle, but the the train. Have you ever done engine, a compression test on it? Uh, well, they say they did. Okay, uh, to make I, sure I it's not an engine one. problem. Oh, okay. I'm I'm uh, at that point with it having so many miles. I'm kind of curious if the engine is not holding compression and it's just turning off, or you know, huh. sometimes it won't crank when you have that problem. So, I would start working through that check engine light problem. That's usually where I start and just start working through it. You know, and that'll kind of start pointing you in the right direction. And then, oh, okay. you know, so I, I have to wonder if maybe you have some electrical something going on, not a component, but some wiring or something like that that's gotten loose somewhere. Something, something's not right. right. It, I, I had thought about that. I, I don't. I, I also I'm I'm in a couple uh, Jeep forums online, mm-hmm. and I was told that uh, not to use like generic parts on them to only use Mopar Mopar parts. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that is that that big of a deal? It depends on the part. Um, some of them have a good aftermarket source, and then some parts don't. So if you see where they're saying use this particular part, then that's probably right. When you've got enough people saying, hey, we, you need to make sure you use OEM on there. So, oh, okay. yeah, you, okay. do, you do want to kind of listen at that time. So you can get away with it on, on a lot of things, but not all things. Have you replaced the knock sensor on there or checked it to make sure it's working camshaft position uh, sensor? These yes, things? ma'am. That, that's, that's one of the early things we had. Okay. We had uh, changed. Well, I don't know. I'd like I'd, that's one of those mysteries. I'd like to figure out what's going on with your your vehicle. Well, well hopefully, hopefully I could get it going, and I'll give you guys a call back and let you know. That'd be great. Thanks, Kenzie. I hope uh, Allison was able to give you some good uh, starting things to check. We're going to move. Oh, yes, ma'am. Fantastic. We're going to move now to Kathy in Natchez. Thanks for calling in to AutoCorrect. <laughs> How are y'all this morning? Oh, we're Hi. doing fantastic, and we're so glad that you're joining us. Yes, I'm glad to be on here. If you lose me because of my signal, um, just real quick, I wanted to see if you could speak on transmissions, especially sealed transmissions. I had a um, Mercury Mountain near 2002 years ago, and I had no idea when I boarded it, and it was still under that it had a sealed transmission because I was coming from Georgia, getting ready to see my parents in Natchez. I got new tires, got my oil changed, and when I left from my job that day, it went from 20-something miles per hour down to 10, and I stopped, and I was like, okay, maybe I need some transmission fluid. So I'm looking for the dipstick and couldn't find it, and that's when I found out my transmission went out, and it was a sealed transmission, but the Ford dealership didn't even disclose that to me. No, so this it's a new thing. I'm actually 
So they, well, they've got this new thing where they're saying they have world standard fluid and these fluids that last forever. But the whole question is, in, in the whole automotive industry, is well, how long does that mean exactly? Are you talking about 250 to 300,000? Are we talking more? Um, but the, my opinion is on it. I'm like you. It, the transmission fluid needs to be changed. And, it sh- and you don't particularly need a... A, a dipstick, you can pump it in from the bottom. They usually have, you know, a, a place where you can put it in. But um, as far as saying the fluid never needs to be changed, I don't know what standard. And there's there's no regulation on that as far as I know, as, as far as, like, the government stepping in and saying, hey, well, we need a, a set idea of when this is going to give out or, or if it needs replaced. And a lot of times I've seen on maintenance manuals where it says change it under special operating conditions, like if you drive on dirt roads a lot. Or, you know, these things, or you're pulling stuff. So it'll say change it then. But what you know, that's that's to me, that's not a big difference in just your your daily driving, which, in my opinion, all fluids need change on the cars at some point. They do not last forever. I don't I don't know why they're they're doing that. A lot of it's they're trying to claim lower maintenance costs on vehicles. And that's a running um, thing when they sell new cars. They want it to show, to compete with other cars, that they have the lowest maintenance costs. Every car manufacturer tries to get the lowest maintenance costs listed on the stickers and everything. So that's a running competition with them. So I think it's caused that situation where you have them saying we have fluid that never needs change, unless under special operating conditions. Um, like when my transmission went out for the second time on the mountain year, I was telling a friend of mine in that, and he was like, well, my cousin drives the same car, and well, the vehicle, and I said, does he know he has a steel transmission? He was like, let me call him, and he called him up, and he was like, I don't have a steel transmission. He was like, are you sure? So he pulled over to the side, and that's when he realized that he had a steel transmission. So he had no idea about the thing where you have to get the transmission flushed and all these things so a lot of people might be driving these older vehicles and not know they have a steel transmission oh they're all over nowadays there's so many cars without dipsticks i i almost hardly see them with dipsticks anymore but there's a but so you drain them you know just like you would um with a car with a dipstick you just don't put it in through the dipstick you just use a little pump little hand pump and just pump it in through the side of the transmission when you're doing a a draining fill on the fluid yeah so that is as far as them, them saying sealed they're just basically saying it's not a dipstick it's not sealed up where you can't get into it Okay, okay. Well, thank you. Thank You're welcome. Thank you for talking about it. You're oh. very welcome. Kathy, we're so glad you called in. Let's now go to McGee, and Wayne has called in. Uh, thanks for calling, Wayne. What's your question or comment? I've got an antique car that uh, sat for a little while, mainly because it was uh, stranding me occasionally, and I think that might have been a fuel pump that was going out intermittently, but I could be wrong about that, but... Now I put a fresh battery in it, and uh, I can't even get a, a noise or a click or anything out of the starter. Have you checked your cable between the battery and the starter, the power, to make sure it's got power to the starter? Yes, I did. And it's and getting I it there. These old cars, where they, the old German cars, if they have uh, relays that would, uh, if, if a relay went bad, would it also possibly cause that? Switch it with the relay that looks the same. It's the same type. 
the same exact one, you know, within your fuse box and see, just see if that, that's, that's kind of a quick way to, to check a relay. That's one way to now? check a relay. Just switch it with a relay that looks the same in the fuse box. It's the same one. Usually oh, okay. there's at least two of each kind of relay. So just switch it and see if there's some, for reason, some chance that that's a relay problem. Okay. All right. Well, I may try that then. That's one thing you can do. You might you might have something else going on with the vehicle. I wonder. Yeah, are you well, making you know? Probably, it was probably an old autocross car, so it probably got thrashed. What kind of vehicle bit. is it? You said autocross. I'm I, I'm listening now. <laughs> well, I was autocrossing uh, back when they were still doing it at the fairgrounds in Jackson. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, awesome. Yeah, they, they, I've been to both of the locations you're talking about. Yeah. But, um, anyway, mm-hmm. the um. Uh, the vehicle is a 1980 Porsche 911 SC. Uh, okay, that's great. <laughs> I love that sound. I want to work on that car. <laughs> I've worked on old Porsches before, so. Thanks for calling in, Wayne. All right, thank you. Uh, we got an email. Uh, this is from Mary. My first car and current love. I was gifted with my first car, a Ford Maverick, in 1972. I'm a small woman, and it fit me like a glove. Eventually, it died of old age, and for years, I searched for a car that was as comfortable as my old Maverick. When Honda introduced the Fit, I was in love again. If I had all the money in the world, it's the car I would buy. Well, good for you, Mary. <laughs> so we're, we're talking about first cars. Um, we're also taking your vehicle repair questions. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four how often are car accidents in for first year drivers we're going to give you some information about that this is autocorrect on mpb think radio This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. Get your MPB car tag anytime. It doesn't even have to be up for renewal. Simply go to your county office to sign up. When you get an MPB car tag, a portion of the fee helps MPB continue to educate, inform, and entertain Mississippians. For details, visit mpbonline.org slash car tag. We'll see you on the road. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.
Thank you for listening to AutoCorrect on MPB Think Radio. Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, is our expert, and I'm Liz Gill, just kind of hanging around in here. Didn't have anything else to do in my office, so I thought I'd come in here. Uh, I hope you <laughs> download our app. The MPB Media app is available at the Google Play Store for Android and iTunes for Apple products. And we're talking about first cars, and I wanted to make sure everyone knew motor vehicle crashes are the number one cause of death for 16 to 24-year-olds at 48.5%. The next highest cause, homicide, follows at 15.2%. And nationwide, 43% of first-year drivers and 37% of second-year drivers are involved in car crashes. So get your teenagers or your first-time drivers to, to be as safe as they can. Slow down. You know, when I first started driving, I first got my license, I knew that those statistics were high for wrecks. So I actually made a point of driving below the speed limit for a year. Oh, okay. And I All think right. it taught me control and self-control with a car. And so I haven't had too many major accidents. Well, I think a lot of parents will have the no no uh, guests in the car rule for the first yeah. year. Sometimes parents do that. That's a good idea. Um, you can put a tracker that tells you also. You right. Know. Right. Well, these days you can probably just use a GPS tracker app of some sort right. or, to know. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I know I took driver's ed at 14. I yeah. wanted to drive as soon as possible. So I had a lot of driving with the mom and the dad before I got yeah. turned loose. Yeah. Allison, you've got something coming up uh, pretty soon where you're going to be. Yeah. So um, a friend of mine, Roddy Merritt, is hosting a auto show. It's called the Low Style Expo. It will be on October 6th at the Midtown Arts Center in Jackson, North Midtown Arts, Arts Center. Um, and I'm sure some of you will know where that's at. I will actually be there signing autographs. I have a little picture made. And talk. Can I come up, talk to me, say, hey, let's you know, ask me some questions. And uh, we can exchange information if you, you need me to look at something. Um, so, and I'm on Instagram, Facebook. Um, I have a Twitch on twitch.tv, Lady Auto Mechanic, where you watch live video and talk to me on there. Um, so if anyone wants to contact me through social media, as I call it, the Lady Auto Mechanic on everything. And we'll have some of that information on our webpage for this show at mpbonline.org slash autocorrect. Um, speaking of car shows and things, this weekend, the North Panola Junior ROTC is having a car, truck, and motorcycle show in downtown Como, Mississippi. Um, it's a, they've got a dash plaques for first 50 entries, door prizes, kid zones, and 50-50 draw. And also this weekend, Sparks and Registration Car, Truck, and Bike Show is Friday, Saturday in Pearl, all vehicles welcome, food, fun for the whole family, food, live music, kid zone. I will be there hanging out. Oh, okay. I'll be there hanging out. I don't have a booth. Just come say hey. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, maybe you'll recognize Allison from the cover of our fine tuning, which is the program guide and uh, premium for those who contribute to Mississippi Public Broadcasting. All right. Sue from Beaumont, we appreciate you calling and hanging on. Uh, tell us about your first car. Yes, first of all, I'd like to thank Liz and, and uh, Allison. It's so wonderful to have have this show on the radio. Thank you. Yes, thank yeah, you. I, I was just thinking about my first car that 
I was living in San Antonio. I met a career military man, and he had he was driving his own army car. But right before we got married, he had this brand new Chevy Impala, I think it was. Allison, you, you remember those cars had three round taillights on the left and three round taillights on the right, on right and left. You remember those oh, yeah. cars? Oh, yeah. Good-looking car. It was a wonderful car, and it was standard shift, and he wouldn't teach me how to drive it. So one day, this teenager was walking by, and I said, will you teach me how to do this standard shift? And he showed me, like, I can H, and you have to press on the clutch every time you change gears and all that stuff, you know? Yep. So I just got in that car, and I learned how to drive it. I screeched and screamed and pulled little gears <laughs> on that car. Jerking and bucking, and yeah, I've been there. <laughs> oh, my God. But I learned how to drive a standard, and uh, that was my favorite car for years. For years after, I never drove anything except except standard shift cars, and um, but I remember that car fondly because it was such a great car. Yep, classic, a beauty. First cars have great memories. Thanks for mm-hmm. calling in, Sue. Bye bye. Next, we've got from Oxford, Paul. Paul, thanks for calling in. What's your question and your comment? Good morning. Uh, glad to be part of the conversation. I'd like to wish Alex and Auto Correct uh, good luck. Thank you uh, very much. First Bob. off, my first vehicle was a 1979 long wheelbase Chevy pickup. It was mustard yellow. The fender <laughs> wow. wells were rusted. The wheels were chrome and half rust. Needless to say, I was not in love with the vehicle. I, just <laughs> I had freedom and able to go uh, about as I please. Uh, my question is, I have a 2013 Ford F-150 as a about 151,000 miles on it. Uh, I've had some issues with the oil pressure gauge just completely going to zero and the light coming on. And it happened three or four times. And I ended up getting the oil changed. And since I've gotten the oil changed, it's been daily. This has happened to me daily. Uh, I do use a synthetic blend of oil. as far as I know, they use conventional oil in it. Is there any kind of an issue with maybe that me switching to the synthetic blend of oil? Not a bit. That's not it. Not it's not it at all. Your pressure switch needs to be diagnosed and make sure like the wiring is okay. You know, test for ground that sort of thing. And uh, but you may have be having a problem with your pressure switch. The other situation that you may be having is you're actually having an oil pressure problem where something internally well, is not keeping the pressure. Kind of what I'm thinking. Because at oh, first dear. I thought, well, maybe it's just a sensor. Well, that's high mileage uh, at a. Well, I, it, when it does it, though, if you sit there and let it run long enough, it will actually start kicking. Tick, 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 tick. So I, I, that's why I was leaning more towards. Are you burning oil? Uh, no, not, not, no, no. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, it, it, so this, it could be internal. Now, what you do is you, you put a oil, you you get an oil pressure gauge and you take out the oil pressure switch and put in the oil pressure gauge and test uh-huh. the pressure right then and there. So that'll give you an idea if it's something internal or if the just the oil pressure switch has gone bad or the wiring to it. I see. So I've also heard need. that if you use a synthetic oil, once you use synthetic, that you cannot go back to conventional oils. Or is that true? Oh, so I, you know, this question, I was wondering when it would show up. So, questions about oil. From, uh, I'll be really honest. You can ask uh, five different mechanics and get five different answers. Um, so I, I I don't think there is a difference because the weight's the same as long as you keep the same weight, which is 
um, really it's the break-in period is different. So the synthetic, the break-in period, it, it breaks in at about 5,000, and so it lasts a lot longer than that. The break-in period on conventional is like two grand or a thousand um, before it completely starts doing its job so it doesn't last as long so that's the main difference between the two so with that being said I don't know it's switching back and forth it shouldn't be a problem all right well I appreciate your time and your effort. Thank you very much, and good luck. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. Um, uh, Allison, we've got an email. Let's go to, uh, there was a 1986 GMC S15 problem. Um, he, it's a five-speed manual transmission. The local college rebuilt the engine in 2004. The only thing original is the engine block, but the cylinders were rebuilt. Everything else is new. Um, it's uh, hard to keep in idle the first five minutes. The engine vibration uh, gets higher when they accelerate. After five minutes idle, the tachometer shows 6,000 RPMs, and it doesn't feel that RPM, but the vibration is still there. And since then, they have replaced two gas tanks, replaced two fuel pumps, injectors, throttle body, and checked the exhaust system for uh, blockage do you have any advice for marvin yeah marvin did you call yesterday or, or i'm sorry they saw the email but yeah i think he, he called yesterday but anyway with this or we had a similar vehicle on yesterday um on this it sounds like they kind of jumped all over the place before actually sitting down and taking their time to do diagnostic procedures which are uh, a leak down test and it's basically you just force air into the engine to see where it's coming out and that would tell you if you have a valve problem or a piston ring problem that tells you an internal issue and like you'll hear it coming out of your exhaust if you're if it's going through your exhaust valve and that's not sealing up proper anyway that's one one diagnosis that you a diagnostic test that you've got to do when you're having a problem like this compression test i'll let you know if you're having the, it's a similar similar test to let you know uh, the strength of the engine's compression and that'll give you an idea if, it, if, if there's a cylinder that's not compressing right um, and then it's shaking everything and throwing everything off um, so the fact that you had these things replaced that you had two gas tanks and two fuel pumps kind of makes me mad because when you replace it one time well then you know that's not the problem it always baffles me when people will replace the same thing they replaced before to see if that fixes the problem when it's already been replaced before and then i'll see they'll do it multiple different things on the car like you replace two fuel pumps and so uh that's that's confusing to me i don't i don't i I rather sit there and take the time to try to diagnose it and pinpoint and not guess guessing uh you try to eliminate the guessing as much as possible and you can you can get nailed down to it better to the problem yeah so um that's that's what i would recommend you need to start from the bottom with the basic test All right. I hope that uh, helped you, Marvin. Let's take one more call before we go to break. Uh, Andre from Oxford, thanks for calling in to AutoCorrect. Great. Hey, Allison. Hey, Aunt Andre. This is my aunt. How are you? I'm I'm excited to be able to call in on your first show. I think it's awesome. Thank you. 
<laughs> I'm very proud of you. Thank you. Um, I want to say my first car, my first beautiful car, was a Toyota Cressida Burgundy 1978. Oh, yeah, we like talked about that. Sedan. We, had, we talked about that. Uh, and I want to talk about changing the transmission fluid because I did call recently to find out about getting mine changed because she said, and Andre, you need to change this transmission fluid. <laughs> and um, they told me that uh, the first place I called told me that because my car had over 200,000 miles, they would not change it. And yeah. so I ended up, uh, that was just like um, uh, University Tires because it was convenient for me to go there because I could walk into the square from there. So I yeah. called my uh, mechanic who I've had for 35 years, and he and they said, yes, we change them. If, it, if it's a Toyota, over 200,000 miles, we'll change the transmission fluid. But other than that, they said they wanted me, it would need to go to a transmission shop. And I was just curious about why that would be. What is it about the 200,000 miles that they don't want to deal with a car with something as simple as changing the transmission fluid? So it's real simple with that. It's the friction plates in your engine, the clutch plates. And if it hasn't been changed in a long time, then debris builds up and it gets stuck in those plates and it holds it actually keeps the friction going. And when you change, if you do a flush, not a drain and fill, if you flush it all out and you get all that out of the car at one time, that can start slipping and causing your transmission to slip. And that's where they get very leery on changing okay. fluids with that. But a drain and fill is not going to do that. You're going to refresh in your fluid. If you've never changed your fluid before, that's when it can kind of get a little bit scary. You you may not want to do it because of that, because of it taking out that grit that's built up on the, the clutch uh, okay. friction pads in there. <laughs> okay. So my mechanic that I've had for a long time, that shop is going to, they're going to do the job for me. Great. Great. So hopefully I can keep this car running for another 100,000 miles. I think so. I think more than that. Okay. All right. Super. It's a great show. I'm glad you're getting a lot of calls. Now. Thanks, Aunt Andre. Aunt Andre, right. we're so glad you called. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to take our last break. Uh, we've been talking about our first car. Do you remember when the first electric car came out? Can you guess what year? We'll talk about what that is. Uh, you're listening to AutoCorrect. Our email address is auto at mpbonline.org. And we're on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.
Welcome back to AutoCorrect. Allison and I have just talked about how this hour has just flown by. So if you've missed any of our program, you can listen to our whole show at mpbonline.org slash autocorrect. I'm Liz Gill with the lady auto mechanic, Allison Walker, and I teased you about when the first electric car came out. It was 1828. (laughs) It was even before uh, some of the gasoline ones. A a Hungarian Mm -hmm. invented an early type of electric motor and created a small model car powered by his new motor. And then in 1834, a Vermont blacksmith built a similar contraption. I love that. A contraption, which Mm -hmm. operated on a short, circular, electrified track. We're talking today about first cars, and we want to uh, go now to Meridian. Meridian, Delane, we're so glad you've called on on our very first autocorrect show. Go ahead. Thank you. Um, My granddaughter has a 2006 Toyota Avalon, and her speedometer uh, went out about a couple months ago, and uh, they told us it's going to be two thousand dollars to fix. And we didn't know whether it would be worth fixing it for you know that amount of money. Of course, she's had two tickets since then, also. So. <laughs> she needs to <laughs> so. uh, But um, you know, we've gotten through that, and we just wanted to know if there's any substitute thing that you can use, some kind of mechanical device that could tell her her speed without replacing that speedometer. Oh, pick me, pick me, pick me. I know this one. I know this one. We have a Garmin, and the Garmin shows your speed on it. Uh, If you just have a directional Garmin, uh, they're so out of date now. (laughs) And they have a, it's an app called Waze that shows your Waze, W-A-Z-E. Waze app that is so neato that shows your right, well, speed. You have to have your phone on all the time in order to, to get that right. Well, if she puts if she mounts it on her dash. But listen, I two thousand dollars to fix that. Uh, that sounds way out of line. I was this a small shop? Well, um, this I'm not sure which one she went to, but she went and uh, when she was in Hattiesburg, and they told her it's going to be two thousand dollars. Wow, I just can't see that. Something doesn't sound right there. I would go get a second opinion from a trusted shop. Uh, that might be a good idea. <laughs> so that's that's an option. And, and of course, I get a Garmin too. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I've got about three <laughs> in my house. <laughs> Well, um, I'll give you my address. <laughs> <laughs> there you uh, go. Good luck with that, uh, Delane. We hope uh, we don't want any more speeding tickets. With that, that'd be bad. Right. <laughs> All right. All right. Thank, Thank you. you. And Hope from Columbus, you're going to be our very last call today. Uh, tell us about your first car. Hi. Well, the vehicle I learned to drive on was a '69 Ford truck. That would beat you to death. You know, any pothole you hit. But my first car, I basically got uh, from my dad. It was a 1972 Cutlass Supreme, two-door, burnt orange in color with that big white racing stripe going down the center. And my friends called it the pumpkin. <laughs> and we could put probably 10 to 12 people in it yeah. and just drive down the road. And when my dad got it, I was small enough that when we would go on trips, my spot in it was the very back 
windshield area, you know, that back dash on the windshield. Oh, yeah. I could stretch across. I was small enough I could stretch across it. But, uh, yeah, I spent most of the 80s in that car, and I loved it. (laughs) It's awesome. Thanks, Hope. Uh, We loved hearing about your memory. It's so funny how first cars, I don't know if this is an American thing, uh, but how they bring up such memories, and you have such passionate ideas about your first cars. It's something about cars in general. It's They're awesome. They're really special, I think. So it, they stick to you. Regardless. They do. They do. Well, this has been our first show. Allison, how do you think it went? This is awesome. All I right. Go, I could go on and on. This is fantastic. Ha- hey, so I'm glad how about we do it next week? Let's do it next week. Let's do it next about week. All right. Michelle, Michelle, do it next week with us. There, She's our board operator today. So that is going to wrap us up for AutoCorrect. Our call screener today was Jay White, and our board engineer was Michelle McAdoo. So for Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, who you can follow on Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, and Twitch. Twitch.tv. All right. I'm Liz Gill. Up next is our Thursday Southern Remedy show, Kids and Teens, with Dr. Morgan McLeod. Join us next week. We just decided we're going to be here next week. We'll do it again. Thursday at 10 a.m. for AutoCorrect on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.